to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. The thing that's important about really getting a grip on what's being said in this passage is this. The tactics, the strategy, the methodology of Satan has never changed. You know the old saying, if, it, if it's not broken, don't fix it. The devil has never really changed his tactics over all of these centuries. Why? Because they work. They're effective. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Genesis, chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, in a message titled, The Origin of Sin and Evil. Now, here's Pastor Brian. All right, Genesis chapter 3, let me read once again the first 15 verses. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said to him, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall crush your head, and you shall bruise his heel." Here for the first time in scripture, we meet with that mysterious personage that we know to be the devil. He is introduced without any word of explanation concerning his previous history. That this is indeed the evil spirit that the scriptures 
would later refer to as the devil and Satan possessing the body of this creature is proven by several passages in the New Testament. Let me give you a couple of examples. Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, a second epistle, chapter 11, verse 5, he said, but I fear that somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Then in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, we read, so that great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. And then in Revelation chapter 20, verses 2 and 3, we read concerning the serpent, concerning the Lord, actually, he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, the devil and Satan, and cast him into the bottomless pit so that he should deceive the nations no more. So based on the further revelation, there is no doubt whatsoever that this is the one that we commonly call the devil and Satan who is here engaging with Eve. As for when this creature called the devil and Satan was created and when his rebellion against God took place, we're not told, interestingly. The angels were apparently created sometime before the creation of the heavens and the earth. For the Lord asked Job, he said, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? And so both the morning stars and the sons of God are references to the angels. And so they were there at the laying of the foundation of the earth, evidently. Although we don't know exactly when these things transpired, we do know that sometime in the past, the chief angel led a rebellion against God, and for this rebellion, he and all of those who followed him were cast out of heaven. Now, Revelation chapter 12, verse 4 seems to indicate that as many as one-third of the angels rebelled with this chief angel. Now, there are two Old Testament passages that shed some interesting light on the fall of this angel. And they're found in Isaiah, the 14th chapter, and Ezekiel, the 28th chapter. And I'd like to read to you from both of those passages, beginning first of all with Ezekiel, chapter 28, and reading from verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him. Now, now here's a really interesting thing in both Ezekiel and Isaiah, what we're going to see is that the prophet is going to be directed by God to speak to an earthly ruler, but 
it becomes evident real quickly that the earthly ruler is more or less being bypassed and the power behind the ruler, the spiritual power behind the ruler is the one who is actually being addressed. And so we see that right here. Thus says the Lord God, speaking to the king of Tyre, but evidently to the power behind the king of Tyre, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. Now, some liberal-minded scholars would try to say, oh, well, this is just, you know, speaking in figurative language to the, the king of Tyre. There's no allusion here whatsoever to Satan. I, I completely reject that. You know, when you look at the things that are said here, you know, how could any of these things really apply to the king of Tyre. You were in Eden, the garden of God. You were the anointed cherub that covers. I, I placed you there. You were full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. Of course, this couldn't be said of a, of a human being. And so we're getting some insight into who this creature actually is from the prophecy here in Ezekiel. And notice, you were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity was found in you. Now back over to Isaiah real quickly in the 14th chapter, a similar kind of a situation. This time, it's the king of Babylon that Isaiah is prophesying against. But in the 12th verse of the 14th chapter, it says this. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. And so these two passages give us some insight. They don't tell us the, the exact timing, but they do give us some insight into what transpired in the mind of this being, the anointed cherub, the chief of the angelic host who was perfect initially but then iniquity was found in him, and it was that iniquity of wanting to overthrow God, wanting to um, be like the Most High, wanting to set his throne above the throne of God, no longer content with being in the position of a submissive creature, but now wanting independence from his maker. 
Now, we commonly refer to this person as the devil and Satan. And those are names that have been given to him as a result of this rebellion against God that occurred. The word devil, it, it means slanderer. And in a moment, we're going to look at him engaging in that activity. Uh, the word Satan means adversary. And so he is God's adversary. He is the adversary of the people of God. He slanders God. He slanders God's people. Interestingly, though, to me, uh, the name or the word uh, in the Greek that's translated devil uh, comes from two words that literally mean to throw through, to throw through. And it's the picture, really. We've all heard the term, a, a wrench in the works. It, the idea is somebody who's interfering, somebody who's complicating, somebody who's trying to frustrate a plan from moving ahead. And, and I think that is such an accurate picture of what we find the devil doing. He's always trying to throw a wrench into the works. So this being who once held this position of greatness with God has become the devil and Satan. Sin and evil originated first with this being, with Lucifer, and, and then spread from him to some of the other angels, not all of the other angels, we know that. And then finally, sin and evil passed to man by the direct activity of the devil. Now, notice back in Genesis, we're introduced to this being, but he's referred to as a serpent. Now, he became, as a result of the curse that God placed upon him, we read about it there in the 14th verse, uh, he became what we know today as a serpent. God said, you're cursed above all cattle, above the beast of the earth, and on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. So that's a description of what we know as a serpent. What this creature was before the curse was pronounced upon it is very difficult for us to be certain of. But evidently, this was a very extraordinary creature. And notice what it says. It says, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. That word cunning, the Hebrew word, is also translated, it's actually translated prudent most of the time that it's used in the Old Testament. Prudent in a positive sense, prudent meaning wise and understanding. Uh, two times it's translated crafty, and one time here it's translated subtle. The English word cunning 
Well, it's translated here in my translation as cunning. I think in the uh, King James, I think it's subtle. But the English word cunning, synonyms for that word are clever, crafty, subtle, wily, artful, calculating, designing, shrewd. So we're, we're getting the picture here of a creature that is a, a, an extraordinary creature. And I don't necessarily think it was just the, the fact that the spirit was possessing and controlling this creature that led to the description of, of this creature being cunning. But there, there was something extraordinary about this creature, and there was evidently something very attractive about the creature. And notice it says, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, and he said to the woman. Now, just how it was that the serpent spoke to the woman, again, these are things that we don't really know. Was it the case that this creature, whatever it was exactly, uh, could it actually speak? Now, of course, today, we know that animals don't speak. There's nothing really to indicate in the early chapters of Genesis. In the second chapter, there's nothing there to indicate one way or the other whether or not they spoke. It doesn't seem like they did. There's nothing mentioned regarding it. But there is one place, as you probably know in Scripture, where an animal does actually speak. And you remember the story, perhaps, of Balaam and his donkey. And it says that the Lord opened the mouth of this donkey and he spoke to Balaam, restraining the madness of the prophet. And, you know, it's, it's quite a comical conversation, really, when you read that story there in Numbers. So we do have that one example of an animal actually speaking. But whether or not the creature could talk or if this was just the result of this evil spirit that is taking control of the creature? We, we don't know. There's so many things we, we don't know about this. But what we do know is this was an extraordinary creature in some ways different than many of the other animals. It says that here. And it was through this creature that this evil spirit that we know as the devil and Satan, it is through this creature that he confronts Eve and he tempts Eve. Now, as we look at the temptation itself, I want you to notice a couple of things. First of all, there's sort of two phases to this temptation or two phases to this attack. And this is, the thing that's important about really getting a grip on what's being said in this passage is this. The tactics, the strategy, the methodology of Satan has never changed. You know the old saying, if, it, if it's not broken, don't fix it. The devil has never really changed his tactics over all of these centuries. Why? Because they work. They're effective. And, and you will find as we look through and analyze this temptation, you will find that this is exactly the way the enemy 
works today. You will probably even say, oh my goodness, I was being tempted. And I might not have even realized it at that point. But, but I want you to notice the first phase. The first phase of the attack is very subtle. It's very subtle. What does he say? He speaks to the woman and he says, has God indeed said? Has God really said? That's the idea. Has God really said? And he comes along to Eve and he's trying to cast doubt on the word of God. He's trying to just plant a little seed of doubt in her mind. If he can just get her to begin to question. Now, is that really what God said? Or did God really say that? And, and that's what he did. He came along and he just very subtly And of course, he was obviously a very attractive and beautiful creature. And he comes and he's going to point her in the direction of something that is is very attractive as well. And the whole atmosphere is conducive for him to just slip in this subtle little suggestion that maybe God isn't being totally truthful with you. Or that maybe you misunderstood what God intended, or maybe it wasn't God at all who said that. And that's the way he operates. He comes in very subtly, seeking to cast doubt on the word of God. But notice what he does secondly. He seeks to cast the commandment of God in a negative light. Look at how he puts it. He says, has God really said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. You see, Satan here, he changed things around. Satan changes the positive invitation that God had given to man. The positive invitation was come and eat from every tree in the midst of the garden with the exception of one. But Satan puts a different sort of a twist on it. So he changes his positive invitation to eat of every tree of the garden into a negative prohibition designed to cast doubt on God's goodness, suggesting that God is essentially prohibitive. See, now he's trying to get her to to rethink God's goodness. God's holding you back. God's keeping you from something good. God is prohibitive. God doesn't want you to enjoy life. He doesn't want you to have a good time. He doesn't want you to experience good things. He's going to hold you back from that. Now, again, of course, uh, we know that this is a, a tactic that the enemy is still using to this very minute. How many people today are toying with that idea that God's holding them back? that he's keeping them back from a great time. He's keeping them back from great prosperity or success or something like that, that God is prohibitive, that he's restrictive. If that kind of thinking process is going on at all in your head, know this, the devil's talking to you. That's the enemy. He twisted. He tries to cast the commandment of God in a negative light. So he begins subtly... But look at what happens. The minute he senses 
that the woman is open to some of these suggestions, he then comes in very aggressively. For the month of September, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, God of All Things, Rediscovering the Sacred in an Everyday World by Andrew Wilson. Have you ever wondered why God created things? Why did God create rainbows? Why did God create rain? Why did God create different animals or vegetation? Why did God create anything at all? Well, in his book, Andrew Wilson explains that God had a very specific purpose for creation, and God uses it even to this day to display his wisdom and to teach us that wisdom as well. Gleaning the insights that can be found in ordinary things, Andrew Wilson takes from both the Old and New Testaments to show how the ordinary things of God can reveal the extraordinary God of all things. The book, God of All Things, Rediscovering the Sacred in an Everyday World by Andrew Wilson is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.